HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is made possible thanks to listeners like you. Want to support independent food radio? Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate today. Hello, this is Diane Stemple on Heritage Radio Network's Cutting the Curd. Today, I'm speaking to author Elizabeth Mincilli in Italy. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to be talking to somebody in Italy. <laughs> well, I, I'm excited to be talking to somebody in New York. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I really enjoyed your book, The Italian Table, and I understand you are both the author and photographer, correct? Yes, correct, ha- correct. How often does that happen? Um, well, you know, the, my first books, I worked with uh, professional photographers, but my last three members, three most recent books, I've done all the photography myself. Uh-huh. And are you, you know, do you do photography otherwise than for books? Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm a photographer. I, mm-hmm. you know, worked with photographers and produced sort of image-driven books for most of my career. Mm-hmm. And I really started doing my own photography around 2010 mm-hmm. when I launched my blog, at which mm-hmm. point I realized that I sort of had to had to provide my own images, and since mm-hmm. I was such a perfectionist, I, I, I wanted them to be really nice. Okay, okay, so you got, you, you got good. <laughs> I got good real fast, yeah. <laughs> okay, well now this is a pretty unusual cookbook for me, because it, it has uh, usually a full-page story about the area from which the recipes come, and then more discussion kind of pre-recipe about what to drink, how to organize the party, even suggestions for how to set the table and time the cooking. It's quite amazing. Well, yeah, it's a different kind of setup than I think your usual, you know, recipe, you know, each chapter a different course of meal. Instead, what I really wanted to do was give people a complete way of entertaining at home. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot, a lot of times, you know, you go and you have a recipe for something, but, you, but then you, you sort of at a loss of how to serve it, what you serve it with, right. you know, what you do serve as dessert, what do you have to drink. And, you know, that's so easy. And the, the easiest way for me to do that was to document actual meals that mm-hmm. I had in yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Now, of course, the book made me very hungry, but there are a couple of, <laughs> of recipes that sound really easy to make. Yeah, a lot of the recipes are very easy because they were actually, these were meals that I had. And, you know, the, the trick, to, as any person who entertains a lot knows, is that, you know, save your very complicated recipes for <laughs> for when you're not having 12 people over. Right, and right. And so, you know, it's, it's all the food. You know, a lot of it is very much depends on the quality of the ingredients. But they're all traditional dishes, and they're all food. I think they're all dishes that people eat every day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what was your plan for writing the book? How did it, did <laughs> they come to you with an idea? Well, this, this- this all happened over lunch with an editor one one time when I guess it was almost six years ago now, mm-hmm. and he was, we were just chatting and and he said do you have an idea for a book and and before I knew what was happening this idea was coming out of my mouth and I hadn't really planned it and um, at the beginning I thought I was going to call it the Italian Dinner Party Handbook because uh-huh. I really wanted to give people something practical. Mm-hmm. And over the years that I've been working on it, it changed into the Italian table because it was more than just a simple handbook. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, but it, but it answers a question that I get asked almost daily, you know, in my in my career here in Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how do Italians really eat? Because people are a bit confused about that, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, did you... You know, people, people come over here and think, you know, we're eating pizza, pasta, and gelato all day long. Right, right. Now, did you know from the start how you wanted to organize the book, or... And had you done others like it, or was this a new format? Well, I had done, this is my ninth book. And, you know, my first six books were more interior design oriented. Mm-hmm. And um, and then the last two books before this were, were more of a way of um, traveling through Italy, sort of following your appetite, mm-hmm. along with recipes. Mm-hmm. And so this book sort of brought it all together, because I never really quite let go of the idea, you know, that that place matters a lot. You know, Mm -hmm. I've always believed in the cultural context of food, which Mm -hmm. has to do with my background as an architectural historian. And so I really wanted to talk about not just the pasta and the bowl. I wanted to Mm -hmm. be able to talk about the bowl. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be talking about the table, the Mm -hmm. the view, Mm -hmm. the time of day and all these Mm -hmm. things. And so I knew I wanted to tackle all of these topics and I knew I had the information, but, but my publisher, which is Rizzoli, and the designers really helped me pull it all together on the page, which, mm-hmm. was, which was very helpful. Okay. Because the, the undertitle is Creating Festive Meals for Family and Friends, which I think you do mm-hmm. wonderfully. <laughs> and I like... Well, yeah, because I think everybody should. Yeah. I like how you give the reader some choices, uh, often how to make the party easier. You know, my, my biggest goal is that by the time your guests arrive, you should be waiting for them on the couch with a Negroni in your hand. You should have no, no last-minute stress. Right. The last, you want to ser- the last thing you want to serve your guests is, is a nice dish full of stress. Right, right, or racing around the kitchen crazily. Yeah, there's no reason for that. It should be fun. You should yeah. have fun shopping and cooking and preparing, and then you should also have fun once your guests get there. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so, But this all comes from the way I entertain, and I entertain a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think I entertain a lot because I, because I've made it fun and easy. Mm-hmm. Now I'm curious, what is your doctorate in? Uh, it was in architectural uh, 16th century art, uh, garden grottos. <laughs> so not exactly 
<laughs> food. Well, the thing, well, no, you'd be surprised because gardens. Oh, they, mean, grow, the Medici, they grow vegetables? The, well, they grow vegetables, and the Medici were, that was one of the main places that they entertained was their gardens. Mm-hmm. And so it has everything to do with it. And in mm-hmm. fact, one mm. of my favorite chapters in the book takes place in a Renaissance garden outside of Rome. Oh, yes. And, um, and Beautifully so, yeah, photographed. I, I like to I like to think that they're that it is very connected. Yeah, yeah. Now, did you know most of the recipes beforehand, or did you have to procure them from others? I did not know anything beforehand. My my the the, the outline of the book was one big blank when I started it, <laughs> and you know I had a, I had a list of about twenty four places I thought I could include, and of course you know that had to get cut down to twelve. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, I traveled up and down Italy, and I sometimes I had a, a hope that I would be able to document a meal, but that didn't work out. Sometimes I was surprised. And, you know, when I was staying someplace with somebody that all of a sudden I had this great meal and I could document it. Mm-hmm. But either way, you know, what I was left with was these recipes that people gladly shared with me mm-hmm. and um, and beautiful images. So where mm-hmm. those two things came together, I was able to form chapters. And then, mm-hmm. of course, you know, in Italy, people give you, you know, very vague recipes, a handful of this and, mm-hmm. and a bunch of that. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, a lot of the work was actually developing working recipes. You had to practice so that you knew what amounts to put in. Right. Well, that's mm-hmm. just, yeah. When you, yeah. When you do a cookbook, right. you, you develop recipes and right. you make it over and over and over again until you get it, you know, just right. Right, right. Now, what was the most fun part of writing the book? Oh, go traveling around. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> by far, by far. I mean, that was, it was fun. And my daughter. How long did you long travel time. for the book? Well, I was working on this book for about a year and a half, almost two years, because I was also writing my previous book at the same time, Eating My Way to Italy. Okay. And so I was able to piggyback the two together, and so I would get to a place and and often, you know, work on several stories and photograph several things at mm-hmm. the same time. Mm-hmm. And it was really fun. I, I was actually looking over some old photographs today and, mm-hmm. and you know, seeing, seeing where I was two years ago today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was, on the, I was in Positano at the oh. beach, you know, photographing tomatoes on a plate. <laughs> <laughs> now, did any of the, of the photos get in both books? No, no, no. There was Is that no not allowed? Well, I think it's boring. I, I don't oh, think you okay. want to read about the same thing. Right. And no, I mean, same, maybe the same place. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's right, right. you know, different places that overlap. You know, and for instance, there's uh, three chapters on Puglia uh, in Eating My Way to Italy. And then there's, you know, a huge chapter on a meal in Puglia in mm-hmm. the Italian table. Mm-hmm. So there were certainly overlapped in terms of, of place and region and culture. Mm-hmm. But no, no overlap of recipes. Okay. And what was the easy part of the book? Oh, well, that was the same thing as the fun part. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. And get, I mean, the, you know, it was, it was the hardest part, I have to say, was, was narrowing it down to just 12. Because ah, okay. Because that, that was my next question, the hardest part. So narrowing it yeah, down. I, what I did, had, you know, a list of 24, and it yeah. ended up being 12. So. What do you wish you had put in? Well, there was one chapter I really wanted to include from from 
Turin from Torino mm-hmm. uh, with little the kind of sandwich called tramezzini. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'll probably end up writing that up for my blog or something. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, the thing is now, you know, now that the book is finished and, and uh, I keep running into new things that I wish I could have included. You know, we just spent the weekend in Basilicata, you know, in Matera, and there was so much, you know, I wish I had done a chapter there. I wish I had done another chapter, you know, in Campania or in uh, the Veneto. And mm-hmm. and so I think I think there might be another book coming. Oh, good, good, good. Because I, I definitely want to read it. Um, now, <laughs> I know food in Italy depends on which area you're in, but this book made me want to visit way more areas, places uh, in Italy than I've already been to. Well, well, you know, that's funny you say that, because that's been a huge reaction that I keep hearing over and over. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I wrote Eating My Way to Italy or Eating Rome, those were specifically designed to get people to come here mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. explore. And the Italian table, to me, was more of a cookbook. Right, but really, right. People are people are telling me that it's inspiring them to go, you know, go and have their own right. meal in Puglia, go yes. and have their own meal on yes. Rome and Terrace. And, yes. and I think that's fantastic. I, yeah. mean, I mean, I think that the enthusiasm is infectious. Right, because I've been to Rome, Venice, Florence, Piedmont, Fabra, um, and Sicily, but now I want to mm-hmm. go to the Amalfi Coast. And uh, how do you <laughs> pronounce it, Puglia? In Puglia, Puglia. Yeah, yeah, Puglia. I mean, yeah. that just sounds... fantastic. Yeah, I got to go. Um, also, I was aware of how I don't pronounce Italian, and I pronounce in my head your name wrong. Can you tell us how to better pronounce it? Well, yeah, well, you were pronouncing it Minchilli, which mm-hmm. is how it's spelled, M-I-N-C-H-I-L-L-I. Right. But the, the C-H is actually hard, so it's Minchilli. Okay. That sounds much and more it's Italian. Very, I have to tell you, it's, it's a very odd name in Italian. It's is not it? a very common Italian name. Yeah, yeah. Nobody, even Italians don't understand what I say. Oh, okay. My, fa- my, my husband's family seems to be the only one with this name. So. Really? Really? So you're not alone. Oh, good, alone. good. <laughs> now, my mother and my aunt spoke uh, sort of their weird Sicilian my whole childhood, yeah. but they were doing it so we couldn't be able to spy on them. They didn't right. want us to learn. <laughs> they were telling secrets. So, and it was like, you know, two generations removed, so who knows how right. how they who were pronouncing. They right. <laughs> right. right. Anyway, it's time for a break. Uh, I'm talking to Elizabeth Minchilli or Minchilli. Minchilli? Her Minchilli. book, The Italian Table, will be back soon. This episode is brought to you by you. As an independent, member-supported nonprofit, the amazing content you hear on Heritage Radio Network is made possible thanks to our generous community of members and partners. For 10 years, HRN has been a defining voice in America's food movement, and we never would have made it this far without you. Join us in celebrating an amazing decade of food radio and support our summer fund drive by becoming a member of HRN. You can choose from our member gifts and will receive exclusive discounts on HRN events. We truly believe that with your help, we can change the world and our food system one bite or sound bite at a time. But there's no food radio without you. 
Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate before July 31st to do your part to ensure a bright future for your favorite food podcasts. Back with Elizabeth uh, talking about the Italian table. Let's see, which recipes are your favorites most often cooked or your family's favorites? <laughs> oh, I always get this question. And, you know, when I first started getting the question, I didn't have an easy answer. Uh-huh. But I think I do now because there's oh, good. one recipe that I have been cooking more often, both when I was on book tour in the States and even here at home. And it's a recipe that's for pasta with smashed cherry tomatoes. Oh, my gosh. And- that's the the first one I cooked out of the book, and I made it last I, night. It, you know, I think it's one that really calls to a lot of people, and because first of all, it's beautiful, and, and it's easy. Cherry tomato, and it's easy, and it's adaptable, <laughs> and you can make it your own. And you know, I was actually the the place where it was we shot that chapter, Masseria Potenti. Yeah, I just spent uh, half of last week there. Oh, and great! I think we had we had we had that dish twice. <laughs> now, do they make it better? They, well, first of all, we had a cooking lesson because I was there with a group. I do food tours. Uh-huh. And so I had brought a group of people down there. And so we made our own version of it. Mm-hmm. And then I think we had it for lunch one day. And then they even served a new version of it where it was more, uh, they had pureed the sauce a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so it's, you know, it's, 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 too, it's, it's just basically pasta was really fresh to me, barely cooked to me. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, I loved uh, it. I cooked them less. I cooked them less than you recommended because they seem to be breaking up. So it's like, okay. Well, you know, you have to always adapt to your ingredients. And yes. that's something that I tried to talk about in the book because, you know, as I was going across the United States and, you know, doing cooking demos, sometimes the cherry tomatoes would have a thick skin. Sometimes they would have a, a you know, a very thin skin. Right. Sometimes, you know, you, they would be big or small. Sometimes you had to cut them or not. And, you know, it's, you have to really taste your your product first, yes, your ingredients, yes. and then sort of proceed. Yes. Well, I had tried to get better tomatoes and then mm-hmm. ended up just getting two different, ba- you know, two different sections from the grocery store. So I right. was nervous about the tomatoes, but I figure cooking them always makes th- things better. Because you're intensifying the, the yeah. taste, and you yeah. can you can adjust with salt and things. Mm-hmm. I just made it recently with little yellow cherry tomatoes, and it mm-hmm. was gorgeous. Oh, nice, nice. So, when did I want to know? This is a bigger question. When did lunch disappear in Italy and became uh, become only the main meal just on Sunday? Well, you know, after World War Two, uh, Italy had a big industrial, you know, had a sort of a, a revolution in that uh, a lot of the agrarian rural uh, lifestyle he faded away. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people moved into the city and the jobs became different. And, and you weren't necessarily, you know, working in the field and able to come home during lunch, mm-hmm. or you weren't even working down the street. Mm-hmm. And so people were working further from home and they were uh, working longer days. And, and this whole idea of, you know, taking a long siesta, coming home, having lunch, taking a nap, going Mm -hmm. back to work, um, you know, they caught up with the rest of the world. And I think slowly uh, people changed their eating habits Mm -hmm. to go along with that. Mm -hmm. It's sad. 
It's sad. But I'm well, glad. it's sad, but, but, but things, you know, things go forward. I, w- I was talking to my butcher the other day about something. I said, oh, it's sad, you know, so and so has closed his shop. He goes, you know what? The saddest thing is going backwards. Uh-huh. <laughs> because if you don't go for if you don't go forwards, uh, you know, the, the, the alternative is really sad. So mm-hmm. go forwards, always go forward. And I, I don't know, I took that, I, I, I really liked his attitude. Okay. I have a question. Is the book available in Italian? No, it's not. Okay. None of my books are available in Italian because, um, well, first of all, it's aimed at really a foreign, some, you know, a public that's outside of Italy. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, and the, the publishing uh, world here is, is, you know, there's only so many people that speak Italian. So I think mm. the, the thinking oh, it's behind small. that is the mm-hmm. people. It, well, yeah, I mean, because only, the only people who speak Italian are here living in Italy where, you know, there's many mm-hmm. more people in the world who, who can read English. So. I now, think that um, for a book like this, which is so expensive to produce because of the images, I think right. we tend to do it in English. Mm-hmm. Now, is it sold in Italy? Yeah, yes, of oh, course. Okay. It's sold okay. all over. It's sold at, at bookstores in the foreign section or at foreign bookstores, sure. Okay. And there's okay. always, you know, online sales. And are some of the pictures from your house? Now, now I'm just being yeah. nosy. <laughs> well, you don't have to be too nosy because it's on the cover, and that's our house up in up in Umbria, which is a region between Tuscany and Rome. Ah, oh, beautiful, beautiful. So, um, I did not know uh, the real definition of porchetta. Am I saying that right? Mm-hmm. Or is it porchetta? No, no, you're not. It's porchetta. <laughs> okay, porchetta. And is faux porchetta made more frequently? In this country, because I feel like, do we often cook a whole 30 to 90 pound leg of lamb or whatever it is? I mean, you mean it's a pig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> see, I don't uh, know. It has, not, it, has, it has nothing to do with lamb. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, see, this is... It's actually, it's, it's an entire uh, pig. Yeah. That's, that's part of it's been deboned and, right. and right. been slow roasted. And, and no, I mean, often, I mean, who has, even in Italy, it's, you know, it's, it's something that's made and then you buy parts of it. Rarely is it something you make at home for yourself mm-hmm. unless you know you're having a, a mm-hmm. big wedding or something. Right. So now, it's often something you find. Go ahead. And there's a restaurant for it. What's it called? Oh, the Fresqueta, the, the, yes. the, the restaurant in, 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 in Aricha. Yeah. No, there's these restaurants where you can go just south of Rome, and uh-huh. you can, they always have a porchetta. And uh-huh. so, but they serve it in these restaurants, but they also serve it, you know, in these sort of food trucks. They serve uh-huh. it in standalone little stores. And you go in and you can, um, you know, buy just some porchetta, but then at these restaurants, you can have it as part of a big sort of, antipasto spread uh-huh. and the, you just go there and you say okay we'll take yeah we're taking antipasto right and it's a little place just start coming and coming and coming and coming <laughs> and you know there'll be fresh cheeses like mozzarella and ricotta then there'll uh-huh. be you know uh, more aged sheep milk cheeses oh. be cured meats and then thick slices of of crusty porchetta uh-huh oh it sounds now that you call the epicenter of yeah. porchetta. <laughs> of porchetta. <laughs> Although porchetta, you know, porchetta is, is made all over Italy in different ways, but I think when most people think of the type of porchetta, they're thinking of the time that comes from, from Aricha. Okay, okay. Oh, that, it's mouth-watering. And you know, this is a cheese yeah, yeah. show, but uh, <laughs> the meats in the book sound the best. Uh, oh. 
So they also, are. Very good. I very did good. I did not know um, about beach club culture. What are those places called? They're uh, they're called stabilimenti, yeah. and it's really a thing that's peculiar to Italy. You know, the, the Italians bring such style to you know everything they do. Mm-hmm. Um, when you go to a beach in Italy, you can. I mean, there are free beaches where you can bring a towel and just sit on the sand. Mm-hmm. Um, but then every single beach has at least at least one beach club, and that means you can usually park your car there if that's possible. And then they have a restaurant, a bar. You can rent your your little your chair and an umbrella. Mm-hmm. And then there's a place to eat. And mm-hmm. you can usually then, you know, come at, at everybody eats at the same time at one o'clock and you go and you <laughs> sit on your table and and they have just fantastic food and but it's always a little bit um it's 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 not uh not fancy food. They put right. a lot of effort into it, but since they usually don't have a real kitchen, working mm-hmm. kitchen, mm-hmm. it's very inventive. And mm-hmm. I tried to capture a few of those sort of inventive dishes that I'd had on this one particular beach in Positano. Mm-hmm. Well, you did a good job, but uh, again, it made me hungry. And it reminded me um, of my Italian aunt serving lunch uh, at the beach house in Huntington, Long Island. Mm-hmm. They had a, no, really? a real lunch there uh, on Sundays. Yeah. Well, so because you get hungry. <laughs> Hungry, that's mean. true. That's true. So we usually sat down to eat. Uh, you know, it it there was a porch uh, a, mm-hmm. that was nice and uh, kept the bugs out, and we could eat yeah. uh, a leisurely lunch. So oh, anyway, fantastic. yeah, the Rome menu is your toughest. You say your longest. Uh, yeah, it's, it's the most challenging. I think. But that woman. Who's doing it has two chefs. Yes. <laughs> so that's As seemed. one would, but has you know, because that's the way people do live here in Rome. You know, Rome is, is an, Rome is a very uh, one of the most expensive cities in the world to live in. So, you know, if you've got a beautiful penthouse apartment in Rome, chances are you can afford to have somebody come in and cook for you. Uh-huh. And so I just thought, why not? You know, because I actually knew the, the, I know her, I know the owner, I also know the, the people that she uses to cook for her, and I thought, what a great way to feature, you know, her style paired with their excellent yeah. cooking. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but it was like, oh, that's cheating. You can't, you, you know, most people <laughs> in America who are reading your book do not have two chefs mm-hmm. up their sleeve for their... Uh, but but if, yeah. you, if you notice, yeah. I give you substitutions and I give you a game plan. Yes, so you, totally did. You, you, totally did. You, you did give easier <laughs> substitutions and more than one, I think, in that example. Like you have a lot of substitutions. And that's after, yeah, for instance... You don't feel like making your own, you know, ravioli, go buy them. Right. I mean, that takes out a lot of stress right there. <laughs> yes, I could imagine. <laughs> Having never made ravioli in my life. Um, anyway. Exactly. <laughs> so what is uh, the Tuvala Calda? Oh, the Tuvala Calda? Yes, yes. What's that? Tell, tell her. Uh, well, that's something that exists all, that's something that exists all over Italy. And it's a place that... Uh, I want to say it like it's not really quite a diner, but it's it's a place where they serve 
pre-prepared food. Mm-hmm. And so tavola calda actually means hot table. So more like a cafeteria, maybe. Mm-hmm. And you can go in and you can choose from an array of dishes that are already cooked. Mm-hmm. They have a few things that they'll cook to order. And you can either eat there very simply or you can they'll pack it up for you and you can take it mm-hmm. home. So the, the most iconic thing to get there, of course, is like a rotisserie chicken. Mm-hmm. You know, they usually have great rotisserie meats. Um, mm-hmm. Stuffed vegetables show up often. Mm-hmm. Roast you know, whether it's it's a pork roast or a beef roast, um, vegetables, and, of course, pasta. And did that predate rotisserie chicken in this country, which is now everywhere? Or or did you say that say came every, from the 60s say, and 70s? I would say everything in Italy in terms of food predated anything in America. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that's a safe bet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Now, one of the uh, recipes in that section is coward spaghetti. Mm-hmm. That sounds great. It's great, and it's simple, and I have no idea why. Nobody could tell me why it's called coward spaghetti, but, <laughs> but it's their version. You know, it's, it's spaghetti with heaping quantities of cut-up pancetta right. and a lot of pepper, and yes. it's just fantastic. <laughs> yes. I bought some pancetta I mean, yesterday just in case I needed to make that one yet. N- next. Well, you know what? You should always have an emergency uh, block of pancetta in your refrigerator. I do, always. Well, but that's, you're an Italian cook. Um, now, is Trattoria Rocco still there? Oh, very much so. Yeah, yeah, it was oh. there a few weeks ago. And where is it? It's in the Mercato di Sant'Ambrogio in Florence. So it's oh, okay. in the old market in Florence. Okay, so I want to go there. I need to, to... You should go. It sounds like you need to get a plane ticket and get over <laughs> Yes, <here>. yes. <laughs> I'm very hungry. So anyway, I noticed you say late in the book, that you became Italian over 30 years. So mm-hmm. I guess your name is your married name. It is. Mikiri okay. is my husband's name, and my maiden name is Hellman. Okay, so what is your background? Uh, my background is I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and when I was 12 years old, my parents just decided to spend a couple of years in Italy, and so we moved to Rome for two years. And um, and after that, my, my parents moved back to the States, but we moved back to New York and lived there. And But we always came back to Italy in the summers, and I spent a junior year abroad in France. And mm-hmm. I finally mm-hmm. moved back to Italy on my own when I was working on my dissertation and, mm-hmm. and was... Uh, and then stayed here, you know, once I found myself an Italian husband. <laughs> Did you, were you looking for an Italian husband, consciously? Mm, I was looking for a reason to stay. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> so is that your pergola on page 185? I would say it is. I don't have the book in front okay. of me, but it's the same one that's, it's the same one that's on the cover, then yes, that's our okay. pergola. Okay. Oh, oh, it's gorgeous. I'm coming to your Thank house, you. too. dinner's ready yeah now i also noticed a picture of a panini press in your book Mm -hmm. that looked like the old panini press when i worked at murray's uh cheese shop we made paninis Mm -hmm. every day for lunch many of them and Mm -hmm. um they had this very old I, I dirty but not dirty uh, <laughs> panini press and it just looked mm-hmm. like that press well, I, 
it, it is, I'm sure, exactly the same type of press. It's, an, it's you know, that one belongs to Nancy Silverton. Uh-huh. And it was, um, it's, it's massive. It gets just boiling hot. Yeah, And yeah. not everybody has a panini press like that at home. But of course, you know, Nancy Silverton does. And, you know, she was in, when we shot that chapter, I think it was like 110 degrees outside. And she was there. <laughs> I hope it was air conditioned. I hope it was air conditioned. No, 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 oh. no, not at all. <laughs> but she was there working the panini press. Though. Well, it's heavy. That's that's why it's so good. It does the pressing by itself. Fantastic. Yes. It's, it's and it gets hot, so it's perfect, perfect, perfect. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Uh, it's well, been, thank you for having me. I'd it, love you to come and visit sometime. Yes, I'm I'm signing up. Next time I come to Bra, I'll try to come to visit you too. <laughs> well, you know, I do I do food, I do food tours. So anybody who does want to join me, oh you know, yes, see my website. Oh, thank you, you for reminding website, me. Elizabeth and we lead food tours week week long food tours in Rome. In Umbria, in Puglia, we're planning one in Sicily as well. Oh, and Sicily. I'm Sicilian. Really fun. <laughs> now, and do you include the hotels? Do you do all the planning? We do, everything. Oh. everything. Yep, oh. Are they very expensive? You can write me for the details. Okay, okay. I won't put you on the spot. Okay, well, thank and, you. And, and, Okay, well, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.